Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. My dear friend, I need an hour and a half. We have standing by our broadcast partner in the Washington, D.C. area. That's Ken Timmerman. He looks at current events in light of biblical prophecy from the geopolitical perspective. We'll get to Ken in just a moment. want to tell you what else we have in store for you. Edomar Marcus is going to be talking about payments to terrorists who are in jail there in Israel. John Rood has a European Union update. Jim Jr. and I are going to talk about a very interesting event that took place under the leadership of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. It was the presentation a reenactment, I should say, basically, of the water libation. That is a very important time in the priestly responsibilities at the temple. So keep the dial set right where it is. We've got a full hour and a half of information you need to have. Not going very far to go and teach and preach the Word of God for three days over at Sunnyside Baptist Church, Lafayette, Georgia. That's located on Round Pond Road. Come over and join us as we study the Word of God. We'll do that on Sunday morning, starting at 1045, and then Q&A at 5, then 6 o'clock will be the service where we'll get back into our study of the Word of God. That's Sunnyside Baptist Church, Lafayette, Georgia. Come join us as we study at an appropriate time to look into the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Let's get now right to Ken Timmerman. Ken, it's interesting. The Prime Minister of Israel has been saying uh, that uh, Iran is developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, not only a threat to the United States and in particular Israel, but basically the entire Middle East and ultimately the world. Now there's a new revelation that proves Netanyahu was right on Iran's nuclear program. What do you know? Well, Jimmy, some of these amazing documents that Netanyahu referred to in his speech before the U.N. General Assembly last week are coming to light in Israel. These are documents from Israel's intelligence service, Mossad. Uh, They've been leaked to a reporter in Israel. And it's really amazing information from this second secret nuclear site that Israel revealed in Netanyahu's speech. And by the way, the irony about this is that they told the International Atomic Energy Agency right off the bat when they knew about it, and they have done nothing to go inspect Mm. the site. Mm. So here's what what, what, what they found at this new location. It's a warehouse or storage facility. They've got, for example, selfies of Iranian nuclear scientists in front of neutron generators that can only be used in nuclear weapons. And this is just irrefutable proof. The Iranians said they weren't doing that type of research. It's a very special type of research. And here is photographic evidence that they were doing it, and it only has military applications. They also found pieces of a program to mate a nuclear warhead to their Shahab-3 missile. That's the missile that is was designed to strike Israel. It's got a large enough warhead, or is capable of carrying a, a one-ton warhead. And uh, so here you have the drawings, the designs, the specifications, and you even had some of the specific pieces of equipment, apparently. They also were involved. They found information about X-ray cameras. Uh, These are ultra-fast cameras that help them to map out a nuclear explosion. It's really all of the pieces of a nuclear weapons program 
the program the Iranians consistently denied that they had. Very, very interesting proof. Netanyahu's pretty much up on top of everything he needs to know because it's a matter of life and death as far as Israel is concerned. Ken, we've been watching a discombobulated group of politicians trying to put together a government there in war-torn Iraq, and it seems like maybe they've been able to come up with a solution. A couple of powerful Shiites who have come together and agree on the Iraqi prime minister, and now the Iraqi president naming that new prime minister. Give us the details, please. Well, I want to say I was heartened to learn that Barham Saleh, a Kurdish politician that I've known for 25 years, was finally uh, selected by the parliament and by an overwhelming majority of the parliamentarians to become the next president of Iraq. Although this is a largely ceremonial post, uh, as you pointed out, he is the one who actually nominates the prime minister. Obviously, the parliament has to agree to it, but he's the one who names the prime minister. Uh, he is the head of state who will meet with foreign delegations. Barham Saleh is a uh, very educated here in the United States. He's very pro-Western. He has good ties with Iran, but he's not beholden to the Iranians. And his choice for prime minister, Abdul Mahdi, is a, in Iraqi Shiite political terms, considered to be a relative moderate, a technocrat. He's a former oil minister who spent many years in exile living in France, not exactly where you go if you're a radical Shiite jihadi Muslim, uh, you would go to Iran. So he spent the Saddam Hussein years in France drinking wine and sitting in cafes uh, and teaching at universities and, and writing magazine articles instead of, like some of his colleagues, sitting in Tehran uh, and going to mosque with the Iranian mullahs. So altogether, this is a very, very positive sign, really the most positive uh, sign since really the early days after the liberation. Wow. Well, that's a very good report that you've just given us. Albeit, I read the last chapter, and the chapter 18 in the book of Revelation says there's going to be some tough times ahead. We'll get, of course, more into that when we take a look at the book. We know Tayyip Erdogan was just recently in Germany. He dedicated a brand new mosque there. But now it seems he has a plan. He's building mosques all over the countryside trying to eradicate Christianity. Is that going to succeed? I doubt it. But what are your thoughts politically on that? Well, he has virtually eradicated Christianity in Turkey, Jimmy, and this has been going on steadily for, for decades. Erdogan is, is sort of taking over from where the Saudis left off in spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year building mosques in Europe to spread Turkish uh, Islam. For many years, people thought this was a more moderate version than Wahhabi Islam. But listen to what Erdogan says. Uh, it's Erdogan who talks about crushing Israel. It's Erdogan who talks about helping Gaza and the Palestinians make Jerusalem their capital. Uh, it's Erdogan who, you know, is constantly, constantly on the front line calling on all Muslims to rise up against Israel to reclaim Jerusalem. It's not the Saudis any longer. It's the leader of so-called moderate Turkey. Well, it's also Erdogan who is wanting to revive the old Ottoman Empire, and that's the way they started. They were going into Europe. They wanted to spread Islam, and looks like he's following in the footsteps of these previous leaders there in Turkey. 
What's going on in Libya? Everybody's reporting, I understand, that it's in chaos, and they're going to have to possibly have the people that want to settle Libya down, get them back into some type of normality to go in there again. What do we know about that? Libya is a mess, and it's a mess ever since Hillary Clinton decided to go along with the French and topple Gaddafi. A disastrous thing to do. Um, I've said this several times on this program. The United States turned Gaddafi around. We turned him from being an enemy, not just of the United States, but being a supporter of terrorism around the world, into an ally in the war on terror against radical Islamic uh, jihadi extremism. Gaddafi was on our side in that battle. He was fighting against ISIS. And the United States, unfortunately, under Obama and Hillary Clinton, took the side of ISIS, took the side of ISIS to overthrow Gaddafi. And the result is what we're seeing today, utter chaos, complete chaos. There's no central government to speak of. There are two rival governments, one in Benghazi, one in Tripoli. The one in Tripoli has to work out side deals with the United Arab Emirates to export oil uh, every day because they can't export through the normal Libyan export terminals. It's a mess. And, and people are indeed actively talking about sending in again some kind of international troop. I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think President Trump is going to go for it. Uh, I, I just don't see Americans with any appetite for even a limited military adventure in Libya. One thing we can say about Colonel Gaddafi was he kept some type of order in that country. If you think nothing else good about him, at least he did that. Well, quickly, let me get to help for the people of Iran. You know, John Bolton is coming out and saying we need to get behind those who want to overthrow the regime. And now Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is also calling for the people of Iran to stand up. What do we know? Well, this is happening in public, in front of our eyes. The Iranians are watching it, and they are terrified. They are really worried. Uh, first of all, they know how rotten their regime is, uh, and they are really worried that the people of Iran, who are suffering terribly under economic mismanagement as well as Sharia law, they are worried that they will rise up in a coordinated fashion and sweep away the regime. The U.S. has not said publicly that they are going to, that the U.S. government is going to overthrow the regime. It's not our job. But they have made pretty clear that if they find Iranians who want to do so, well, they might be able to give them a little, uh, some, some warm, uh, warm feelings mm-hmm. um, and, and perhaps a little financial assistance. And the State Department, for example, is spending a lot of money these days on, on helping to create secure communications platforms that, that will allow dissidents in Iran to be able to talk to one another without the regime being able to penetrate their communications. These are all big things, important things to do, uh, and they are a tremendous help. I know from the people I talk to inside Iran, they are a tremendous help, and really they give a lot of not just psychological support, but it's material support to people who are uh, dissidents against the regime. And just about everything Ken Timmerman brings to this broadcast table is important for us to hear and understand as it relates to geopolitical activities around the world. Ken, an excellent job, as normal. Appreciate it so much, and we'll talk again next week, buddy. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we have standing by, coming to the broadcast table, David Dolan with his Middle East News update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Sunnyside Baptist Church in Lafayette, Georgia. You need to come join us. I'm telling you this right at the outstart of this next segment here on Prophecy Today weekend because, you know, we're close enough to home and I'd love to have some of the home folk come study with us. We're here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Broadcast Central. It's the studio from which we normally operate And David Dolan standing by to give us a Middle East news update. So glad you could join us. And David, this week a state visit by Angela Merkel, Chancellor of Germany. She and the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, got together and they agreed no nukes for Iran. That's good news, is it not? Well, it is, but of course it's not just up to Israel and Germany to decide. Obviously, Germany is a major world power Its military forces are still not that significant, but they're growing all the time. And financially, it's been helpful to Israel over the years. And we have the very important development some decades ago when the German government in the 1990s actually announced that they would build some submarines for Israel, some defensive submarines, military submarines, which they've done. That's an important part of Israel's Navy. Relations are very, very close between the two countries, of course, because of history mainly. And Chancellor Merkel did the usual. She visited Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial, made some uh, statements about anti-Semitism there and that that would be fought. And most importantly, she brought a delegation with her of business leaders from Germany that uh, did a few deals while they were down in Israel. And the Israelis appreciate any support they can get, especially in these difficult days, 
And so to have her come, she did not, uh, however, Jimmy, visit the Palestinians, uh, didn't meet with any mm. Palestinian leaders or go to Ramallah. There was uh, protests from the Palestinian Authority over that, saying she should have done so. But she said this was a private, not a state visit, a private, basically, business uh, visit. But as you said, she also met with Prime Minister Netanyahu and discussed uh, Iran and other significant uh, situations. Israel's most concerned about the German business deals with Iran, Jimmy, and those uh, there are still some in existence and from other European countries as well. When the American full sanctions begin uh, at the beginning of November next month, then uh, they're hoping that uh, Germany will, German companies, I should say, will take further actions to break uh, their economic ties with uh, Iran. But they do a lot of business there. That is mostly the result of the nuclear accord that President Obama was mainly responsible for. And uh, that's allowed them to strengthen their economic ties with Iran. But Israel's hoping they'll uh, weaken those. And so far, some companies have announced that they won't continue doing businesses. They're just hoping that more will do the same, especially in the oil sector. Yeah, absolutely. Last time we talked, David, we talked about Israel, the Israeli Defense Force, being on a collision course with the Russian army. And that was because of a downing of a recon aircraft belonging to the Russians. Russia at first said, okay, it was a mistake, but then now they've come out pretty strongly to say Israel was responsible, and boy, they don't want that ever to happen again. So I guess Israel now is in the planning stages. They need to rethink their Syrian strategy after all of this has come out, how they're going to deal with what's happening in Syria. Well, they do, Jimmy, and uh, this S-300 anti-aircraft defense system has been delivered now. Uh, They came in earlier this week. Four of the systems were delivered to Syria. Uh, They're under Russian command, and interestingly, Jimmy, when the uh, Russian defense minister, Sugoi, when he announced that uh, these units had arrived in Syria, he called them the unified S-300 system. He said this unified system has been delivered. Well, uh, various Israeli analysts got on board that statement, and they said this means that it is being integrated into Russia's own command Mm. system in Moscow Mm. so that Russia would control not the actual firing of the the rockets in the event of uh, aircraft going over them that are deemed hostile by Syria, but Russia would maintain overall control of them, and they would be electronically integrated into the Russian system. So Russia would know exactly the moment any of these were fired, where they were being fired, etc. This could be a good thing, some Israeli analysts are saying, and that it may limit Syria's firing or use of these systems. But the Israelis are assuming, Jimmy, that there will be Russian advisors, quote-unquote, sitting with the Syrians at all times with this system, and that they will actually give an on-site allowance or denial of Syria using them in any instance. It was announced this week that they would continue to communicate with each other, the Israelis and the Russian armies, would continue to coordinate actions, that Israel would continue to notify the Russians when they were launching any operations against Iranian or other targets in Syria. But, of course, the Russians accused Israel of only informing them one minute before the uh, September 17th bombing campaign against uh, some Iranian targets near Russia's air base, Latakia, 
on the western coast of Syria. Only one minute, they said, the warning was not sufficient. So that's one of the accusations that Israel has denied. Tensions still remain high, Jimmy. That system is now in place. And as I said uh, last week, it could potentially uh, shoot down aircraft over a lot of Israel as well. It can reach quite a distance. It's a very powerful system. It depends on where it's placed. But if there's four of them, which the Russians say, we can assume that at least one of those units that include radars and uh, target acquisition systems, command posts, and then the launchers, at least one of those systems will be stationed somewhere uh, near the Israeli border. That makes sense, since the main aircraft that they're targeting, the Syrians at least, are coming from Israel. So uh, a very tense situation still. Meanwhile, Russia's announced that they're selling an even more advanced version of the anti-missile system, the S-400, to India. Now, uh, India is an ally of Israel, so this isn't a threat to Israel, really. But it's an open door for that system to be sold to other countries as well. And some of Israel's enemies, who are Russia's allies, have been asking for that system as well. Iran, in fact, would like to purchase it. So that's disturbing to the Israelis and uh, the Americans. The White House made a statement. The State Department made a statement against this S-300 deployment. The State Department said it's a very serious uh, development that we'll be watching closely. And as I said last week, of course, these missiles could be fired at U.S., French, British warplanes, American aircraft coming in from the Gulf. They could be fired at them. And the electronic warfare jamming equipment that's also been placed in Syria could affect all of those militaries and civilian aircraft as well. So it's a very serious situation indeed. David, often we've talked about Bashar Assad, president of Syria, claiming that he was going to take back the Golden Heights, which his father lost in the Six-Day War in 1967. He would do it diplomatically or militarily. So therefore, how seriously should Israel consider the threat from Syria as it relates to the Golden Heights? Well, Jimmy, there's an assumption that once the, uh, quote, civil war in Syria, and I say, quote, because, of course, there's so many other parties and actors involved than just Syrians, that it's a joke to call it a civil war. But once that war comes to an end, as it's expected to, once the Idlib province is either militarily taken by Syria, Russia, and Iran, or some sort of a peace agreement that Turkey's pushing for can be uh, negotiated to avoid actual military conflict, get the rebel fighters out of there without more bombing, etc. But once the war comes to an end, seems soon, then the Israelis expect Syria will turn its attention south, towards the Golan. As you said, President Assad has said that they would do this. Uh, we got to remind our listeners, Jimmy, that as part of the 1922 League of Nations Accord that led to the mandates given to France and Britain to oversee the establishment of various countries in the Middle East, including a Jewish state in what uh, the West called Palestine, western part of uh, Asia, really, along the Mediterranean coast, uh, but Arab states as well, that the Golan was to be included in the Jewish state. That was the plan that France and Britain agreed to originally, the two powers most concerned, and the U.S. and others backed it. It was only taken militarily, violently, by Syria uh, later on in 1948. It should have always been a part of Israel. It's the main water source 
fresh water source for the country. Well, actually, today it's uh, it's Israel's series of um, desalinization plants along the Mediterranean that are providing a majority of the drinking water. But still, it is a major source of fresh water, the main source of water for the Sea of Galilee. And uh, they're just not going to let it fall into Syrian hands, period. Whatever it takes, it's going to remain Israeli in Israeli hands, uh, but that could, of course, mean a war is coming on that front. But for sure, Syria needs to be taken seriously by the Israelis, which I think they are doing today. David Dolan with our Middle East News update, key to our understanding of how the prophetic scenario found in the Bible is going to be fulfilled, and seemingly pretty soon now. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome to be. God bless. Itamar Marcus is standing by. He's going to talk about his plan to stop Mahmoud Abbas from going to the United Nations. That failed at this point. But then what about the payments being made to the Palestinian terrorists who are in jail today? We Americans, with our tax dollars, are helping do that. We'll get that information from Itamar Marcus in a moment, right here on Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy. Today we move now into our second half hour. And in this half hour, we're going to have Jim Jr., our oldest son, come to the broadcast table with a report on the water libation that took place there at the Temple Mount area earlier this week. So keep the dial set right where it is. John Rood will give us a European Union update as well. But we're going to go first to Itamar Marcus. He's the director of Palestinian Media Watch. PalWatch.org is their web address, and you can go there and sign up for their alert letters, or alert emails, should I say, that will be sent to you if you want to stay abreast of what the Palestinian media is really saying. I look at it all the time. It'll be great for you. We'll get to that conversation with Itamar in a moment. I want to tell you, we're here at World Headquarters for Prophecy Today in Chattanooga. We'll be going to Lafayette, Georgia, the Sunnyside Baptist Church, for Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Randy Avens will be the pastor who is inviting all to come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. Randy and Donna and Judy and I were on a tour a couple of years ago to Israel, looking forward to seeing Randy and his wife Donna again there at the church, Sunnyside Baptist Church 
It's on Round Pond Road, Lafayette, Georgia, Sunday morning at 1045, and then 6 p.m. on Sunday evening with a Prophecy Q&A at 5, Monday and Tuesday at 7 p.m., and the Prophecy Q&A at 6. So come and join us for this great time of being able to study the prophetic Word of God, a very special time in history for such a study. Well, as promised, Itamar Marcus comes to this broadcast table. He heads up palwatch.org. That's the website. It's Palestinian Media Watch. And Itamar, first thing I want to do is catch up with your effort to stop Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, on his travels to the United States and attendance at the United Nations. What happened? How did that all play out? Well, the United States has laws that prevent entry, prevent visas for foreigners who are in any which way involved in terror, promoting terror, uh, encouraging terror. Well, Mahmoud Abbas is head of the Palestinian Authority and many other different branches, which pay salaries to terrorists in Israeli prisons. Now, the American law, the taylor Force Act, defined paying salaries to terrorists in prison as incentivizing terror. So Mahmoud Abbas, the one responsible, is incentivizing terror According to the United States law, he should not be allowed into the country. So we, we put all this information together. We cited the laws, and we sent this to Secretary of State. And unfortunately, the State Department said that because he's coming to speak at the U.N., they're going to let him come in and, and speak. And, and following that, a group of about 15 family members whose loved ones had been murdered by Palestinian terrorists, they wrote a similar letter that actually we worked with them on, and they said that to President Trump, and they asked the same question. Will you please not let Mahmoud Abbas come into the country because he is a terror promoter and it violates American law? And unfortunately, the president didn't act. I think in a sense we didn't give them enough time. We, we, we gave them this request really just days before Abbas was going to come, and I, I think they didn't have enough time to make a decision about this. In any case, unfortunately, Abbas was allowed into the country, on the other hand, at least the American press this time picked up the story. AP did a story, and with AP doing it, it went out across the United States that Mahmoud Abbas is really the head of an organization that, that, that encourages terror. And that's one of the things that we wanted the world to understand. Mahmoud Abbas is not the innocent victim of Israel that he proclaims all the time. He is actually the head of an organization that is promoting terror. Well, in fact, that was a great report that was able to be scattered across the entire United States, getting this information into the hands of the body politic of the United States, and ultimately they can maybe bring that attention again to President Trump, and he might make a different decision next time. But on the other hand, it does speak volumes about the United Nations and their relationship with Israel, and the United Nations allowing a terrorist promoter to address the member states of the United Nations. That is not good. Yes, and the United Nations, as you know, has already voted to give the PA some kind of recognition as a state. It was really a symbolic vote because it wasn't a Security Council, but the majority of the states are willing to give this terror-promoting entity called the Palestinian Authority uh, statehood, including some Western European countries. So it's, a, it's, it's very problematic that possibly because they're in conflict with Israel, and they may be for 
a variety of reasons are inherently anti-Israel, so they're willing to support a terror-promoting state, uh, a terror-promoting entity that they want to turn into a state. Well, let's uh, go back on that activity that uh, the Palestinian Authority is involved in, giving payments to terrorists while they're in jail. Are you telling me that, and the rest of the world, that actually any money that is contributed to the Palestinian people, the first off the top of that money, goes to these terrorists who now in jail are serving time for whatever they did, killing somebody or whatever? Yes. According to Palestinian law and in Palestinian practice, somebody goes and builds a bomb and it kills an Israeli Whatever we just had a few weeks ago, uh, an Israeli, Ari Feld, who was murdered, actually not very far from my home. And the, the person who killed him is now in jail, and he will be there, hopefully, for life. And he will start with a moderate salary, but eventually his salary will keep going up the longer he's in jail. Eventually he'll be getting 12,000 shekel a month, which is about $3,500, which is about four times the average more than four times the average Palestinian Authority salary. So you're talking about an enormous reward for terror. The Palestinian Authority gives out 7.5% of its budget to pay terrorists in prisons and the families of killed terrorists, 7.5% of their budget. So they come around to the world begging for money, which they claim is going for education or welfare or whatever, and they're giving 7.5% of their budget which is actually 44% of the amount of money they get from foreign donors, uh, they're giving that away to terrorists. Well, I, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard a report that even the last penny that they may have in their budget before they give it to the Palestinian people, they pay off these Palestinian terrorists. Absolutely right. The person who said that was no one other than Mahmoud Abbas himself, the head of the Palestinian Authority, the one who just spoke in the U.N., he said, our last penny we will give to the prisoners before we give it to the people. So the Palestinian Authority has put terrorists on such a high pedestal. They have turned them into heroes of the Palestinian Authority. Uh, let me give you an example from a school book when I talk about turning them into heroes. There's a new Palestinian school book for fifth graders, Arabic language for fifth grade, and it has a section, and it calls it Heroes. And it talks about the importance of heroes. Society needs heroes. We admire them. We name schools after them, name streets after them, it says. And then they say, we all want to be like them. And then it gives examples of heroes. They're all, just about all of them, are people involved in fighting or terror or killing. One of the examples of the name of a terrorist is Dalal Mughrabi. This is a female terrorist who led a bus hijacking that killed 37 Israelis, 12 of them children. She's a mass murderer, and they're telling children, everyone wants to be like them. This is your hero. Everyone wants to be like them. And then the section ends with the words, um, glory, or I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but something like glory to the, to the heroes and shame on the cowards. Shame on the cowards. In other words, if you don't want to be like Dalal Maghribi, who actually died during her terror attack, shame on you. Uh, this is what they're telling 11th and 12th graders, that you should be shamed if you don't want to go out and die while you're killing 37 Israelis. This is the Palestinian Authority. And this education that the Palestinian Authority is, is giving to the children is being paid for directly by the European Union 
and and many countries and many other Western countries. Itamar, before I let you go, let me uh, just discuss one more item with you. I watched from the government press office some 25 years ago, September the 13th, 1993, when Yasser Arafat and the Prime Minister of Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, along with President Bill Clinton, there at the White House in Washington, signed the Oslo Accords. Now, that was total subterfuge, as we have been watching the last 25 years, and in fact, still, there is no Palestinian recognition of Israel. How can the Palestinians expect to have a coexistence, much less a peace agreement to accomplish any of their goals, with that type of reception to this peace treaty? Well, the Palestinian Authority, as you say, never really, never really wanted to achieve peace. Uh, they tell their people that their goal, the goal of the entire Oslo process, uh, is is eventually eliminating Israel. And by the way, not only do they tell their people, but their people that we've reported, Palestinian Media Watch has documented this, but this is the message that people get. There was a poll taken a few years ago. Palestinians were asked, what is the goal of the Palestinian leadership in seeking a settlement with Israel? And close to 70% said the leadership's goal is to get Israel to certain borders, close to the 67 ceasefire lines, and then from there to go and liberate what they called all of Palestine, meaning destroy Israel. So the Palestinian Authority has given their people the message, this is a stages plan, we're going to make Israel smaller and smaller and smaller until there is no more Israel. And the people understand that this is the message, that their leadership, and this is the goal that the Palestinian leadership is working for. You know, friends, that's the reason we have Itamar Marcus on this broadcast with us. He comes to the broadcast table giving us information, details, about what is really being said by the Palestinian media, key for our understanding of how Bible prophecy is actually being set in place there in the Middle East. Itamar, thank you so very much. Thank you and all of your staff for the work you do and informing the rest of us what the Palestinian media is really saying. And uh, I'm sure we're going to have to have another conversation down the road, so looking forward to that. Thank you, Itamar. Thank you. The Middle East is a key region that we look at in order to determine where we are in God's time the prophetic scenario that he lays out in the Bible helps us as we look at the Word of God and then current events unfolding. Not only in the Middle East, but in the European Union, that is also another major region and a governmental operation uh, that is at least, as I study God's Word, at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. For over 30 years, our broadcast partner has lived in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. He's a student and also a teacher of Bible prophecy, and we're proud to have him as one of our broadcast partners. John Rood is his name. John, let me get right underway. A state visit by Angela Merkel, who is Chancellor of Germany in Israel this week, and after they met the Prime Minister of Israel and the Chancellor from Germany agreed that Iran must never get a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Very interesting coming from Angela Merkel there in Germany. We knew what the Prime Minister of Israel would say, but what are your thoughts? 
Yes, German Chancellor Merkel has made a visit to Jerusalem, and after their sessions, they held a press conference, and they actually came out with a strong agreement. Germany and Israel agree Iran must never have nuclear weapons. Uh, there's a bit of an asterisk with this that they disagree on the best way to achieve this. That would take some looking into to see exactly what it would be, but we can be assured that the European viewpoint on it probably has a few loopholes uh, in comparison to Israel's stand. As well, the same press conference, German Chancellor Merkel came out and said that Berlin endorses the two-state solution, which has pretty much been the, the standard position of the European Union. But one of the interesting things is that Israel had made a declaration some time ago in the last months about being recognized as a Jewish state. And at first, the European Union had come against this declaration, but from this press conference, Merkel came out and, and underlined her recognition of Israel as a Jewish state. So that was quite an outcome. Yeah, very interesting statement made by Angela Merkel. Well, our good old friend Jeremy Corbyn, who is head of the Labor Party in Great Britain, has called for an arms embargo on Israel. Explain what it's really all about. Now, Jeremy Corbyn, of course, who is the Labor head of the party in the United Kingdom, he has a history of being extremely, not just pro-Palestinian, but anti-Israel. And so it's astounding that he's getting this far. They just had their main party convention, and he came out pretty much with a stance that if if labor would gain a position in government, that they would immediately recognize a Palestinian state. And then, in a sort of a quirky twist, he was in recently in Brussels, and he's speaking with the EU chief negotiator for Brexit. But he's not in government, so they have no ability to negotiate. Now, the very, very latest is that he has come out from the the party convention saying that they would call for a complete arms embargo on Israel. This is, we can't say it's unprecedented because it's actually happened before 1948-49, war, actually the United States took the position to not supply either side with weapons, but Britain uh, unilaterally supplied the uh, Arab side with weapons. Well, Donald Tusk is the president of the 28 member states that would uh, be those who are of the European Union, and he came out against Jeremy Hunt of Great Britain for comparing the European Union to the Soviet Union. Man, that was some statement. Probably he should have been condemned, or do I not know the whole story? Yes, uh, Jeremy Hunt, of course, is the U.K. foreign minister that replaced uh, Boris Johnson. And uh, he came out with a statement and basically said, European Union is set up to protect freedom, and it was the Soviet Union that stopped people leaving. So this was taken as a direct comparison of the EU and the Soviet Union, and uh, had tempers flying very quickly. He continued to say, the lesson from history is clear. If you turn the EU into a prison, the desire to get out of it won't diminish, it will grow, and we won't be the only prisoner that wants to escape. So 
analysis on this. The European Union has operated as a non-democratic superstate, and they just don't understand the um, approach that should be taken that will bring some sense into these type of proceedings. So, therefore, making a hard example of Brexit, because, of course, it's an existential crisis for the European Union. In some sense, they're broken. So they've come against this statement, and he actually he didn't necessarily retract it, but said it was taken wrongly. But ironically, uh, during all my years in Brussels, there was sort of a, a joke that would go around saying, how is it that the Soviet Union, their uh, founding treaty, actually had, had a clause that a member nation could leave their group? But the European Union at, at that time never had an approach where anybody that was in could ever leave. There's a little more truth to the things that were shared here, but basically it's a wake-up call for the European Union hierarchy, or what we call the Brussels elite, that instead of just blasting people, uh, especially with the parliamentary elections coming up next year, if the Eurosceptic parties gain a great uh, representation, there's going to be a time where they're going to have to stop blasting each other but have some form of dialogue to move forward. But we understand the cracks and fissures are, are going to continue. This is very typical. said a very interesting statement just a moment ago. The super state. Wow, that is describing what I would refer to the fulfillment of the European Union becoming the revived Roman Empire. Two major powers at that time, the revived Roman Empire and the Ezekiel 38 coalition led by Russia. Well, we'll talk more about that when we look at the book momentarily. John, thank you so very much. Great report. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. We'll look forward. Thank you. Speaking of prophetic, I'm now going to bring Jim Jr. to this broadcast table, not as he normally does, to ask me a question from one of our listeners, but instead I want to talk to Jim with an update about what's going on in Jerusalem as it relates to the preparations to put the next temple on the Temple Mount. This is the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now that's the seventh of the Jewish feast, and it's just been completed. And then we have the priests, the ones who have been studying the priestly duties to operate the next temple in Jerusalem, these priests performing the water libation. Now this is what we would refer to as an ordinance that the Jewish people were given through Moses to them when they were traveling in the wanderings in the wilderness when they came into the land, and in fact when the temple was standing, the second temple, the first temple I believe the same thing, but the second temple, the time of Jesus Christ, Herod's temple, they performed the water libation as well. Some 300 people got together to witness it in Jerusalem. It was a full-dressed reenactment of the Sukkot activities, the water libation, Sukkot being the Feast of Tabernacles. Jim, this was pretty amazing, was it not? It sure was, Dad. Great to be with you. I think the people there got to see a bit of the former glory of the temple in the past, and it was witnessed by over 300 people. 
the group took out from outside the dung gate. They made their way down. And you know the most important thing that we've had the opportunity in the past to be at some of these celebrations. Uh, we were there at the sacrifice of the lamb, the first one to take place in 2,000 years. And here, the people there witnessed the water libation and the high priest blessing, and it was uh, a, really a significant moment for the Jewish people there. It was interesting to me also, Jim, that as you just mentioned, they went out the dung gate, they went down to what is the location of the only river in the Garden of Eden, the Gihon Spring. And that's where they got the water to come back up onto the Temple Mount area, not on the Temple Mount, but nearby to go with this. Now we've talked about now we've talked about that the Gihon River, the Gihon Spring there in Jerusalem is the only official river that was in the Garden of Eden. When you go back to Genesis and chapter 2, verse 10, it says there was one river that flowed out and became four heads outside, the Tigris, the Euphrates, the Pishon, and the Gihon. And you compare that then with First Kings, and that is in chapter 1, a record of King David anointing his son Solomon to be the next king. I also read when I was getting ready to talk with you about this was the water that was used to add to the ashes of the red heifer, that performance there on the Mount of Olives. But it was so interesting. They were dressed in the full garments of the priest. They had the implements which would be used in the next temple. They did this almost absolutely official, and someone said the first time done officially in some 2,000 years. Yes, you're exactly right. They have been using a silver vessel in the past. This time they used a gold vessel to pour the water, to collect the water with, and that is the water. If, if anybody is familiar with that area, it's down in the Kidron Valley, actually, where they go to the Gihon Springs. They might remember from the New Testament, that's where Jesus proclaimed at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, where he, at the pool of Shalom, that he brought up, and he said, if anyone thirsts, come and drink after me. So it's a very significant, it's actually one of those events that is supposed to be very joyful. They went down, they gathered the water as they came back up to a makeshift altar. In fact, the closest event that's ever taken place to the temple itself, the Temple Mount, right there at the city of David, they reenacted this whole event. The altar was a wooden altar, but decorated in the same way. The priest, as you said, these descendants of the Kohanim, the descendants of Aaron, they reenacted this, and it's a joyful time. Remember, Dad, the water libation is that time where the Jewish people prayed, and they did this ceremony looking forward to the rain. The rain was so very important to the Jewish people at that time. Without water, they wouldn't survive. They couldn't exist. And so they prayed for the rains, and they were so joyful. In fact, it was a 15-hour ceremony that took place in ancient times. This time it only took place for about three hours. But again, it was a very joyful time. You know, it's interesting. You brought up, and I had never thought about that. That's the location where Jesus said, if you thirst, come and drink. Well, he's talking about salvation there. 
Somebody else that I read also said this was key to salvation, the water libation. You put that together with so much that Jesus said about water, where he was on the water, its relationship to salvation. What an interesting decision was made by the Sanhedrin, who really put this on. They did it with the assistance of the Temple Institute. And in fact, the head of the Temple Institute, Rabbi Israel Ariel, even was in attendance there. He announced at that time the official announcement that there had been a birth of a red heifer. Again, the water used in the red heifer situation, the living water, a connection to how water is so key. Well, this is all that's a part of preparations to build the next temple, Jim, and looks like to me they're getting very close to that time happening. That is for sure, Dad. You know, we have been a part, we have been friends from the very beginning with the Temple Institute people. In fact, we've done several videos that encompass some of the major men, the major rabbis, Rabbi Yehuda Glick, who is now a part of the Knesset, Rabbi Chaim Richmond, and we have been friends with these men, and it's so great to have been there to see almost a front-row seat to prophecy being fulfilled. Well, that's for sure, prophecy being fulfilled, and we're on the front-row seat. Jim, thank you so very much for everything you do. You edit this program. You make me sound like I'm a pro. I want you to get practiced up, buddy, because one day Jesus is going to take me home, and I'm looking for you to take over here. So learn all you can at this point. (laughs) All right, Dad. We'll stay busy. Yes, I'm sure you will, Jim. God bless you, my son. All right, let's uh, take a break right now. I've got a half hour left on this broadcast. I want to talk with David James about a very important subject, and we'll take a look at the book in that next half hour. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy Young, and welcome back to our third half hour of Prophecy Today weekend. Great to have you along. Glad you've given us one hour. Now, another half hour, and we'll complete our information opportunity for you to understand how current events around the world are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you'll give us an hour and a half each week, we'll take care of our responsibility. I'm going to take a look at the book in the last part of this half hour. David James standing by for our weekly conversation, so keep the dial set right where it is. And I want to give you my poll question. If you'll go to my website, prophecytoday.com, scroll down the left-hand column on the front page, you'll be able to see the poll question. Please answer it for us. Here it is. Do you believe that the confusion in the Syrian civil war and the end of that civil war could cause a major conflict between Israel and Russia to break out as foretold in Ezekiel 38, Daniel 11, and Isaiah chapter 17? Now that's the poll question. Please, after the broadcast, Go to my website, front page, the home page, and answer that question for us. And may I remind you, if you have an opportunity at my website, look at our section of the website talking about our tours. That's Joshua Travel. Remember my website, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James, 
You can set your clock each and every Saturday when we do this broadcast across the nation and around the world, David and I come together on a conversation that will be key for helping the body of Christ to grow. Now, we're going to focus on the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and the debacle it has been over the last several weeks. Let me just make this statement. We're airing this broadcast prior to the final vote by the United States Senate, so we're going blind here. We don't know if Kavanaugh was approved or disapproved, but the points that we're going to bring out are key to our conversation anyway. But before we get to our topic this week, David, you mentioned to me that a friend of yours went home to be with the Lord this week. Tell us about this good friend and what part he played in your life. Well, actually, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation if it weren't for the ministry that that man had in my life back in the early 80s. Humanly speaking, he is the one who is responsible for me being saved at the age of 26 and my wife two months later. And I was a manufacturing engineer in a small company, and so I designed machining processes and tools to machine the parts. And he was a head toolmaker in the factory, and uh, so he and I worked very closely together. He made the uh, parts and, and tools that, that I designed. And he was also a pastor and an evangelist. He worked full-time in the shop, but he also pastored a small church, and his nickname was The Preacher. And mm. uh, after five years of him thinking that I was his one-man revival meeting, <laughs> finally the Lord used him to get uh, my attention and completely changed my life. A year later, we were at the uh, Word of Life Bible Institute. Two years later at Dallas Seminary. Three years later in the ministry with Word of Life. And in 1992, we became missionaries uh, to Hungary. And so he touched uh, hundreds and thousands of lives of people all over the world in 20-some different countries that he never even knew about. So I'm just very thankful for his testimony and his ministry in my life. Yeah, the preacher. Praise the Lord. He stayed at the task. He was steady on what he knew had to be done. I think of the man who led me to the Lord, Mr. Cribs, as well. Just before he died, I was able to thank him, and we'll do that forever when David and I both get to the heavenlies and see those men who led us to the Lord. Praise the Lord for the fact that he did that, David. We're so glad to have you along. Well, this week, I'd like to take a moment and discuss what has been happening with the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings And I first want to let our listeners know where we're coming from on this point, that we don't want to get into partisan politics. I agree with that. We do our best to stay out of politics. I'm not a registered Democrat or Republican. On the other hand, some of the comments and observations that we make could come across as being partisan simply because there's a difference between conservatism and liberalism, and it just happens to fall along the lines of Democrat and Republican party lines at various times. So the things that you and I believe are going to fall on the conservative side of the spectrum, and that will inevitably lead to some things that have political implications, perhaps, but that is not our intention. Our intention is to try to deal with truth, try to deal with the issues, and try not to get into dealing with judging hearts or motives. You know, as we get into this, David, one of the things we need to keep in mind 
is that God established human government early on in history and that he today is sovereignly in control of human government as well. That's exactly right. He first established human government in Genesis chapter 9 when he put in a rudimentary form of government, which was for the purposes of uh, carrying out capital punishment for the restraint of evil after the flood. And we certainly see throughout the Old Testament that he raised up kings, put down nations, sovereignly guided world history. We know from Romans chapter 13, Paul says there's no authority on earth but what has been ordained by God, and he uses both good and evil in human government. But at the same time, Paul also makes it clear in a couple of places, particularly Romans 13, that we are to be subject to human government. And at the same time, we have a responsibility as citizens of the United States States, where our particular representative republic-type system allows us to participate and guide government, which is different than communist governments or monarchies or various other types of systems that have been put in place around the world. So we're in a unique position, and I think we need to take that seriously. David, without taking sides, how would you evaluate what has happened with the confirmation hearings? Has the process, in your thinking, been helpful for our country? And more importantly, has it been pleasing to the Lord? Well, I think I would agree with uh, some who have noted that, one, it's been a debacle, and two, it's been a disgrace in, in from many perspectives. And I think in many ways, uh, people have lost sight of this particular process in confirming a judge to be a justice on the United States Supreme Court. For 35 years, he has demonstrated that he has been eminently qualified. He has received the highest ratings from the Bar Association and other groups, and not a hint of scandal or anything like that. And I think Unfortunately, both he and Dr. Ford have become political footballs in this jostling back and forth between the Republicans and Democrats because we are so divided as a country, and it's actually served to drive a wedge further into all this rancor and political discourse and division that is happening in the country. And another thing I would say is that this goes back to a difference between liberalism and conservatism and how that plays out in what we view as the role of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, in my view, is to judge constitutionality of various cases that come before it, and the conservative side generally tends to be originalist, meaning that the Constitution is interpreted according to the intention of the founders, whereas liberals tend to be just like liberal theologians in the sense that they believe that everything can be reinterpreted. For liberal theologians, the Bible can be reinterpreted apart from what the original intention. And I would say that Dr. Ford has really been used even more than uh, Judge Kavanaugh, and it's really unfortunate as to what has happened in her life as well. You know, as I've thought about it, David, a lot of what is at stake here is the truth. And the scriptures, of course, have a lot to say about the importance of telling and also seeking the truth. 
That's exactly right. I, in preparation for this, I went back to a course I teach on the book of Proverbs, and we're all familiar with Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, saying there are six things the Lord hates and seven that are an abomination to him, and two of the seven involve the truth. He says he hates a lying tongue and a false witness who speaks lies. So two of the seven focus on this. We see this throughout, even in t- it's both integrity and the truth. Integrity of the upright will guide them, Proverbs 11.3 says, but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. So truth is very important to God. God himself is truth, and we need to reflect that, and the scriptures are very clear on all of this. You know, David, I do think we need to stop just for a moment and insert this. We also want to make sure that we give attention to what the Bible has to say about the value of women, especially because over the past year or so, a lot of attention has been brought to a deep problem here in our society. Well, John MacArthur wrote an article, and I'll just quote part of it, where he uh, points out this problem. He, he says, I contend that women are used and abused more today than at any time in history. Pornography turns women into objects and victims. Throughout the world, women are traded like animals for sex slavery. Men routinely use women for no consequence, no commitment to sex, only to leave them pregnant without care and support. Women are left alone, emotionally scarred, financially destitute, and experientially guilty ashamed and abandoned. And he points out that this is in stark contrast to what the Bible has to say about women. Women are to be treasured. We read of the Proverbs 31 woman who is a virtuous wife and someone who to be cared for. Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Peter talks about husbands dwell with your uh, understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And that weaker vessel is not a negative. I, I look at it as a difference between pottery and porcelain. You bring out your good china, your porcelain, because it's fragile and it's beautiful and it needs to be cared for and handled properly, and it's not something you can just throw around, and I think we're in a place in society where women are thrown around and abused, and we do need to take those accusations seriously and look to see if there's any uh, evidence and corroborating evidence for what they say happened to them. And I would say an amen to that statement. Well, let's uh, conclude, uh, you know, with this thought. Our country has always faced serious challenges, but things seem to be getting increasingly worse when it comes to political divisions, ethical and moral failures, abuse of women, as you've just been talking about, but also abuse of children. And the list goes on and on. You know, Scripture makes it clear that we have a responsibility to pray for our country, and especially for our leaders. Well, you and I have talked about Romans chapter 1, which I've described as the death spiral of humanity, and it's something that happens to individuals, governments, and the world as a whole, and so things are getting worse, and they will continue until Jesus Christ returns and establishes his kingdom. But in the meantime, uh, Paul reminds us in First Timothy chapter 2 that we are to pray for our leaders, for those who are 
in positions of making these decisions. And I, as I pointed out earlier, by God's grace, we are in a country where we can directly participate and shape government. So even with the upcoming midterm elections, I think it's important that we utilize that God-given right and privilege and responsibility as we select those leaders that we'll be praying for. You know, I walk a lot at night, David, you know that. And uh, when I'm walking, I love to look up in the sky and see the stars, how God placed them there. And they are always right there where they're supposed to be. I recognize that's what we should be doing. Look at the Bible and be exactly what we ought to be in this type of a situation, which we have discussed. And I have got to tell you, last night when I was walking, my entire prayer time in my walk was praying for our leaders, First Timothy chapter 2, as you've told us. I think this was a great discussion. I think we needed this discussion after all that we've seen happening the last couple of weeks. David, thank you so much for coming to the broadcast table with this. We'll have a similar type conversation next week. I'll look forward to it. Thanks so much. Very important conversation with David James. Appreciate the opportunity for him to do the research and get everything ready. Hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to listen to it again, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You can re-listen to the conversation with David James. But we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now for us to take a look at the book. 
on Prophecy Today weekend, we had the opportunity of receiving great reports from our broadcast partners, details behind the headlines on the stories confronting us today, and those stories all giving us evidence of a current event that is making preparation for the scenario that is found in God's Word, the prophetic scenario, to be fulfilled. I want you to know we always, every week, need to hear these reports. By the way, if you missed any of them on the broadcast today, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. We've posted them at that location on my website so that you can listen to them, maybe for the first time, or if you want to go through them again, you can do that as well. And be sure to tell a friend they need to hear these reports. It's key for our understanding of today's events in light of the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Now that said, I'm going to go back and rehearse what our broadcast partners had to say, or at least their lead story, and I'll give you my prophetic perspective this week on that news. Ken Timmerman always begins our conversations, and we talked about the fact that Prime Minister Netanyahu was right when he spoke at the United Nations uh, that Iran is a major threat to the state of Israel, the United States, and in fact the rest of the world. But he has proof now that what he said about that secret location in Tehran was absolute. Remember, the Prime Minister did a show-and-tell presentation at the United Nations in New York City last week, and he was able to show the world the location of a secret warehouse where they have over 350 tons of munitions, of information, and equipment that would assist the Iranians in developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Let me give you a verse, Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 5. It mentions Persia, and that is modern-day Iran. And the prime minister of Israel, for the sake, the life and death opportunity for the Jewish state of Israel, bringing this information to the world, now the United Nations and the world must do something. David Dolan covers the Middle East for us. He's been doing it for over 35 years. And he told us that Israel is rethinking their Syrian policy and the threat that Syria has given to the Jewish state of the possibility they'll go in and try to take back the Golan Heights. You know, it was the Golan Heights that was lost to the Israelis in the Six-Day War in 67, 1967, when Hafez al-Assad, father of Bashar Assad, the present president, was the one that lost it to the Jewish people. They set it up as a buffer zone to make sure that the Syrians could not attack them from the north, a very important security site for the Jewish people. Well, Russia is involved in all of this, according to the scriptures, Ezekiel 38, but so is Turkey, Iran, and Syria. 
In fact, chapter 11, verse 40 of the book of Daniel says that Syria will be the ones that make that first move to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. However, today, politically, before we get to the prophetic, politically, Syria, with these major nations, enemies of the Jewish state of Israel, within the borders at the northern border of Israel, within two and a half miles, they are a major threat. So Israel is now rethinking because of the warning from Russia after the downing of a recon aircraft of the Russians, they're going to have to deal very carefully when they are responding to the threat from Syria. Itamar Marcus, the head of Palestinian Media Watch, talked about the payments that are made to terrorists that are in jails in Israel for some type of a terrorist attack, most of them killing Jewish people. Well, palwatch.org, that's Intermar's operation, stays true to their mission to make sure they report what the Palestinian media is absolutely saying. Remember, taxpayers here in America giving those payments to the Palestinians will go towards supporting those terrorists. Remember Ezekiel chapter 35, where it says that the Palestinians will rise up, kill the Jews, and then steal their land. John Rood gave us a report on Germany and Israel agreeing in a meeting they had in Jerusalem this week that the Iranians must not have a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Two major players in the end time at the beginning of the tribulation, that would be the revived Roman Empire, Germany will be a part of that, and the other led by Russia, a coalition of Islamic states. That stage is set, Bible prophecy about to be fulfilled. Jim Jr. and I talked about the water libation reenactment. This is a part of the preparation for the Jewish people to put up a temple in the city of Jerusalem. you got to remember, that's going to be a false temple for a false messiah, and all of these activities are simply looking forward to the fulfillment of prophecy that said this would happen. The ultimate temple will be built by Jesus Christ, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, and Jesus will rule and reign from that temple, verse 13, forever. Great conversation with David James. We talked about the manner and the method of the Kavanaugh hearings in the Senate, a terrible example of how people should not live if they are a part of a government that was established by the Lord, and they're only in that position because of the Lord. But our responsibility as Christians, remember, David told us at the end of the conversation, 1 Timothy 2, you and I are to pray for those that are in higher authority. Well, that was the look at all of these broadcast partners and a prophetic perspective on their lead stories in their report. I want you to know we always, every week, need to hear these reports. By the way, if you missed any of them on the broadcast today, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. We've posted them at that location on my website so that you can listen to them, maybe for the first time, or if you want to go through them again, you can do that as well. You know what that gives us? Evidence that the next event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church, is about to take place. And having said that, 
there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.